0: Good evening, and you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight for another installment of our Winter of Wargaming is Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome to the show. Good evening, everyone. And we also welcome our elite irregular panelist, Bruce Garrick. Hello, Wargamers. (laughs) So tonight we're going to be talking about probably my favorite series in all of wargaming uh, oh one my of the... god really okay here we go all right fine you you want a piece of me fine let's do this
1: no i'm just i'm surprised <laughs> that's all just just shocked
0: no, I, well, part of it is Tonight we're going to be talking about the Close Combat series mm-hmm. And I think the reason that it is so near and dear to my heart Is that it was sort of one of the first serious war games I got into uh, Ages right. and ages ago, my grandparents bought me a copy of Close Combat 2, A Bridge Too Far for Christmas yeah. And uh, it okay. pretty much eclipsed whatever the hell else I got that year I don't even remember uh, Because A Bridge Too Far Sox. is You got sucks. I agree with you Yes, Bridge yeah. Too Far is great uh, so uh, tonight we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, the latest installment of the Matrix Slytherin Shepherded Close Combat series, uh, Close Combat Gateway to Khan. But we're also going to be talking about this series as a whole and uh, how it evolved over the years and its uh, many sort of salient and unique features. And I think we might as well start with uh, you know maybe the 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 most uh, the most distinctive thing about this game. Which is, of course, the way it sort of modeled your your soldiers and their and their psychological condition. And I think that was sort of an early trademark of the series, and and remains so through to this day. Uh, Bruce, why don't we lead off with you? What what sort of sets uh, what what sort of sets close combat apart, and what's it trying to get at with its uh, sort of soldier psyche model? Oh well, I mean, I think that um, you know, close
2: combat was one of the. Uh First games, I think, that really kind of put everything together in terms of the sort of visceral appeal of combat, or appeal of combat. That's appeal, kind of a weird yeah. thing to say. Visceral appeal of gaming combat, um, not actually being in combat, um, the, but that sort of the appeal of the uh, the war movie, um, and as well as the sort of psychological aspect, which was you know has been a part of board games forever. Uh, and sort of uh, codified, I think, by squad leader. But, um, but this kind of took the, took the computer's ability to um, model individual factors of, of the game and keep track of them and sort of present them to you in a certain way. And so now you could see that, you know, Francis uh, was not too happy about being shot at, and he was starting to panic while his uh, friend Steve was just doing just fine. It was just calm and uh, returning fire and spotting for your mortars. So um, I, I just think that the, uh, the way it put everything together, that was, uh, you were talking about Bridge Too Far, Bridge Too Far. I remember seeing that game when I uh, first got it and thinking, oh my goodness, that looks beautiful. And of course now, you know, I look at the things, I'm like, oh, well, you know, that's, yeah, that was for that time, beautiful. But um, it was really, a, it, was, it was as much of a shock for me, then, as um, as uh, combat mission was when that came out, yeah. I think it was a similar a similar um, advancement of the of the genre, and uh, it's really kind of overlooked these days. And uh, I think it's a shame because it, it really did uh, it, it did take things to a level that they had never been at before.
0: Yeah, I, I think. Is something we should mention, actually, in sort of going off of last week's show, is, if I recall correctly, the entire Close Combat series actually began life as an adaptation, sort of, a brand adaptation, adaptation let's call it, of uh, Avalon Hill Squad Leader. Uh, the, yes. the very first uh, Close Combat yeah. game, which was set in Normandy, uh, was, in fact, going to be Advanced Squad Leader uh, on PC. Right. And well, I'm not entirely sure yes, sort of. what went wrong there. Well, the,
2: I think what went wrong at that time was that Avalon Hill went out of business. Um, it was I think Avalon Hill, I mean Avalon Hill folded in 1998 or so. And I think that at the time that uh, Atomic Games was working on uh, close combat, they sort of um, I think Avalon Hill kind of ran out of money and uh, that was sort of the death throes of Avalon Hill at that time. I don't know that um, I don't know this I don't know have any of the details. that would be an interesting to, thing to research. But um, we should point out to uh, listeners that the um, Atomic Games team had already done a whole bunch of games uh, for Avalon Hill, and I, I, I remember those fondly as well. And we should talk about those a little bit. But um, they had done uh, they had done a, a Bridge Too Far kind of game. Um, the name escapes me now, but it was it was definitely uh an Arnhem game or a market garden game, I guess. Then they did uh Utah Beach game and uh, they did uh Belikio Luki, um or Luki, I guess, uh which was uh the sort of Stalingrad uh, of the north as it's called on the Eastern Front. And um all those were all well, those were fantastic games. Oh they did I'm sorry, they they also did Operation Crusader and they did um uh, I think they did a Stalingrad game too if I recall correctly. But anyway, that sounds, those games sounds were right? Yeah. Pardon?
1: That sounds right.
2: Yeah. I think they did a bunch of those and they were all really I mean for, for that time, I think they took uh, sort of the board game uh, the board game paradigm as far as it was going to go f- as it could get at that point. Um you know, it had stacking, it had really nice looking counters. Um, it was a little clunky oh my, but for that oh time. Oh my goodness, it wasn't really they did
0: the, the Victory series. Yes, exactly. Oh, my yes, goodness. Okay, okay. I, I, yeah. did not, I did not remember that. Yeah, that was one of the first uh, War Games I ever encountered. I just never put it together with Atomic Games. Very yeah. different, sort of a classic, you know, crunchy, oh, totally. cardboard counter type game. Yeah,
2: very, very different. Yeah, and, and that's, that's interesting because when I, when I heard that um, Atomic Games was doing sort of this, you know, squad leader thing, I thought it was going to be, you know, I was like, oh, wow, that's going to be great. They're going to have, you know, things that look just like counters and... Um, and just like, uh, you know, just the, it's going to be Squad Leader on the PC. Of course, that I think that would have been impossible to do at that time. But um, but they ended up doing something that was really, I think, in spirit Squad Leader um, and did a lot of the things that uh, Squad Leader tried to do. I mean, it was really focused on individual morale.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, I think that that did... Uh, it, it did a fantastic job of doing that. And it actually spawned a lot of games. Um, Eric Young ended up doing... Um, Gosh, what was it? Was it? Uh, I can't remember what it was called. Squad Assault. I'll have to look that up. Um, but he did a game that was like a 3D type game, which, which was basically it was basically close combat in 3D, and, and it, it didn't really work very well. It was actually I felt that was terrible. Um, sorry about that. But uh, I really didn't like it, and um, I think that people ended up trying to chase that sort of sort of thing into uh, into the 3D. Um, representation, you know, space, if you can call it that, where, uh, whereas combat missions sort of figured it out and thought, okay, well, this real-time thing is really not going to work very well um if you force people to to keep track of all these units all at once so let's do the uh, wego kind of thing you can give all the orders you want spend as much time as you want on it and then have them resolve simultaneously which was genius by the way i mean those, those guys were that was another uh genius move but um they really understood what wargamers wanted and i think a lot of people sort of took the co- close combat thing and, and that that was the time of you know dark rain and total annihilation mm-hmm. and uh, you know red alert mm-hmm. had come out uh, a few years before that and it was just i mean it was it was this whole thing like oh real time real time strategy is the real way to do strategy because it's you know quote realistic right so um so everybody wanted to do that and it it, it worked to a certain extent with close combat but you couldn't uh, you couldn't take it to the next level it was it was really key that uh, that everything was you know this flat 2D 2D map so, which seems weird now. I mean, I'm playing it thinking, I don't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I think one of the things that stood out... I want to ke- go back to the soldier model a little bit, because one of the things I've always loved about it, I'm not sure any game has really gotten this as right as Close Combat did, is that going back to squad leader and looking at a lot of other war games, it's kind of conventional to model soldier states in, in kind of these coarse terms, right? Like soldiers either, you know, at rest and at maximum effectiveness or Mm -hmm. is in some sort of duress and is taking some Mm -hmm. kind of penalty. And then the soldier's broken or, you know, basically Mm -hmm. routed. And that's roughly those sort of gradations are are kind of consistent. And then Mm -hmm. if you have sort of any sort of persistent element, uh, generally it moves in one direction. Soldiers get more competent with, with more experience. They become more effective, Uh, Uh, And that's really what what combat ends up doing. One of the things Mm -hmm. that really stands out for me in the Close Combat series, and I never felt this more keenly than in A Bridge Too Far, is that combat's effects are actually wildly unpredictable. Experience might move only one direction, but it is also a a traumatic experience that can change soldiers in in really unexpected ways. And this is one of the things that I make, particularly the early Close Combat games, so interesting, uh, is, is that they were at this level where you did kind of hit a point where you were on a not first name basis. Cause they didn't have first names, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you, you were definitely kind of the company commander who knew every man in his company. Mm-hmm. And so you were able to track the changes in your soldiers, sort of combat personalities uh, from mission to mission to mission. And, Things that would happen, and this is something that I saw repeatedly, is that this is a game that could acknowledge that a soldier could simultaneously become better at at fighting. A smarter soldier, more effective, more tactically sound, uh, but then also acknowledge the fact that over repeated combats, that soldier might also be quietly freaking out. That for mm-hmm. all his competence, he might also be realizing, if I keep doing this, I'm going to get killed. And mm-hmm. what you end up with is a soldier who's very competent, very professional, but is absolutely not hero material. He just needs to get the hell out of this fight as quickly as possible, order him to do something, he doesn't want to take any risk, he's not going to be the guy assaulting the pillbox. A young mm-hmm. rookie—you don't know what that kid's going to do. You might, you, know, you might, you know, give him a basic order and watch as Audie Murphy takes the field and wipes out like a mm-hmm. German, like an entire German company. You don't know right. what's going to happen. But this is one of the things that I loved about Close Combat, particularly in those early games, is that I kind of felt it was like it was like Sim Soldier is the way I'd put uh-huh. it. And I felt really right. <laughs> intensely connected and even sort of mesmerized by watching as the soldiers reacted to the strain of a campaign in all these different ways. It's sim- Sorry, sorry, wanna while Rob said that, I just wanted to point out that as
2: far as sim soldier, though, it completely fails. Because stuff that I've been reading about uh, sort of battle effectiveness with soldiers, that there's definitely an arc and that uh, soldiers sort of have a, a, um, a finite number of hours of under fire that they can take and that soldiers that the battle fatigue is actually a very, very well described, uh, uh, arc of, of peaking to a really peak effectiveness and then declining to a sort of, uh, burnt out soldier. So the, they don't really have the model right as far as what I've been reading lately, but, uh, it's still interesting.
1: Yeah, It's not a perfect model, but it does have the point where they aren't, Experienced soldiers aren't super units, and you have this pattern throughout strategic games where an elite unit, a veteran unit, is something you can count on. They're your they're your Iron Brigade in the Civil War. They're your in like your Civ four terms are the guys with like three or four extra hit points type things. And as you go through a campaign in close combat, it's not quite like that. There is this point where you have to ask yourself, how much more can they take? What is the breaking point? And it's not perfectly modeled, it's not based on anything, it's almost random at points. But there is this sense you cannot always count on them. That there's a limit to their eliteness, a limit to their experience. Right. And it is and it's a, a kind of important and it's neat. You want to count on them because you know they'll be good in certain situations, in mm-hmm. certain circumstances. Right. And it's I like the way how well, until you realize that, it's a great system. Now, once you realize this isn't perfect, then it breaks down completely. Mm-hmm. Then you realize, I can't count on them. It's all, con- it's all contingent, blah, blah, blah. But if mm-hmm. you walk into it with this understanding and it's traditional, traditional war game, strategy game thinking, mm-hmm. and then these guys start running, you think, holy crap, I just kind of broke these guys' brains. Mm-hmm. And it's really a special kind of feeling when that happens.
2: Yeah, it's taken from Squad Leader. That's a that's a quality yeah. reduction, right? It's uh, yeah. basically you fail your uh, morale check by greater than your E.L.R. and you become yeah. a less uh a less reliable unit. So yeah, I mean... Despite
1: going through all of this experience, which is experience, because we're we're trained to think of experience as always being a good thing. And close combat, I think, is the best, one of the best computer game modeling of experience sometimes being questionable, that you're Mm -hmm. great and you've seen all of this and maybe in a single battle it's good, but it might not carry on continually.
0: I vividly remember uh, in Bridge Too Far, and I I love the barks in, in the Close Combat series, and, yeah. and The Bridge Too Far in particular. But I vividly remember, um, like, there there was this, uh, it was either a panther, it might have even been an elephant uh, tank, sort of like mm-hmm. uh, wandering down the street in Holland, basically just like laying waste to everything. An and elephant,
1: th- elephant tank wandering down the street?
0: Yeah, it, it wasn't a great scene.
1: It's hardly wandering, but okay.
0: Let's <laughs> uh, go from side to side. Yes. It, well, it, let's say it was mosing and leveling building after <laughs> building full of towers. That's, right. that's, <laughs> that's kind of how it was rolling. Uh, anyway, but all I had was this. Um, the, that what was that? Uh, the, that that british anti-tank weapon uh the 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 piat the Mm p-i-a-t yeah uh, which is a spring-loaded shaped charge anti-tank weapon which had an amazingly effective round but a shitty delivery device and that was sort of Mm -hmm. the paradox of of Mm. that weapon uh but i remember it was the only anti-tank weapon i had left standing because this thing had already massacred uh you know like a sherman and an anti-tank gun so it was down to this squad and i remember like looking I i saw like they had the flank open, and there was there's a way they could sort of move around, and get behind the tank, and I gave them the move fast order to get them out of the position, so they could make the attack. And I remember, you know, you get the AI response to it, which is, "You're mad." <laughs> and they refused to move, and I just said, like this. It was one of the first times this had really happened to me in this game. It was one of the first times it ever happened to me in a war game. Uh-huh. Uh, usually, soldiers are broken, and you can, then you can't command them. But this was the first time a squad, which otherwise was still responding to orders, just looked at an order and was like, "No, no, not doing that. Give me a different mm-hmm. order." And it was <laughs> kind, it was kind of remarkable. Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know that. Uh, that's that's a
2: that's a. Um, I think a lot easier to do in computer games than in board games because if you're picking up a piece and you want to move it, it really sucks when you roll a die and you can't move it. But uh, huh. I think I think the effect of having you click on uh, on a unit on the screen and have it tell you to go to hell uh, is actually a really effective uh, effective use of uh, of that medium. So yeah, I think they they really uh, they really got onto something there. they, they were they were really good uh, I mean they were really kind of, uh, intuitive designers they knew what was they knew what was good about this system and the medium and um, and they really they really took advantage of it i think
0: yeah though though i think they started to hit and fairly early in the series they started to run up against that and we've talked about this before on the show the desire that gamers and war gamers tend to have for everything to mean something in the context of a broader campaign and this is why I think my favorite in the series might still remain, um, it, it may it may still be A Bridge Too Far, Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. because that was sort of the sweet spot of, A Bridge Too Far was the Market Garden campaign, and that's actually pretty much a short, like, what was it, like a 10, 11 day period? Uh, it was like mm-hmm. a two week campaign. Right. And there were distinctive areas of operations that weren't entirely adjacent to, to each other. And then you had this outside concept of um this allied armored thrust uh, the 30th Corps, uh just sprinting along this this one co- this one road. Mhm. And hitting Causeway. each we're going to see. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's it, it was along this narrow road that uh was supposedly
2: um you know a a highway to uh to the to the paratroopers, but actually turned into this sort of grind.
0: Yeah, and, and it it ended up just because of the way that campaign was structured and then the way they modeled it, that you can't you're not really commanding 30th Corps. 30th Corps is kind of going to advance step by step no matter what you end up doing. But what what you what you have going on in this in this campaign then is all these discrete little all these discrete little combat areas uh, where your paratroopers are fighting for their lives. And then once 30th Corps moves through there, you switch to the defensive as the allies, and the mm-hmm. Germans are trying to cut the road uh, from from the side as, as they get reinforcements pouring into the area. Mm-hmm. And because of the compressed time scale and the way these things all connect to each other, I think Bridge Too Far is probably the only time that the campaign... Made made a great deal of intuitive sense, that it made sense why all these soldiers were persistent. It -hmm. made sense why all these maps were connected in the way that they were. All of that that made intuitive sense. Yes, I agree. I think that that was the... They picked the perfect...
2: And like I said, these guys were pretty intuitive game designers. Um, Their previous designs were well done. I think they knew exactly what was good about or was was appealing about each one of the situations that they modeled. And I think they really hit a home run with the... um, uh, with the, uh, market garden, uh, setting. I mean, everybody, well, the war gamers that were interested in this, that were buying it knew you know, about Nijmegen and Arnhem and all the, you know, the, the sort of progression of towns, um, it was very familiar. Uh, there was a limited sort of area that you were fighting in, right? I mean, it wasn't like the, like Stalingrad this giant place, but, um, uh, market garden, the, uh, the road that 30th Corps was driving up and the, the sort of uh, chain of bridges that the paratroopers were supposed to capture were all linear, right? So you could really mm-hmm. literally move along this linear sort of narrow but long uh, battlefield and your map could sort of scroll, so to speak. And um, and they just, I think they really nailed it. They put all of that together. They saw exactly how to take advantage of that setting and of the... Um, of the layout and of the confrontation of forces and the uh you know, the the problems with the paratroopers fighting, uh, you know, sort of outnumbered and, and um outgunned because the until Thirtieth Corps got there the, the paratroopers had very uh poor anti tank capability. So you got exactly what uh Rob was talking about where that you know, tanks coming down the streets and the paratroopers it's just terrifying. Um, I think that that was yeah it was a really that was definitely the highlight of the series, and I think that when that was Close Combat two, right? Yeah. So Close Combat three,
0: I remember came out, and these games were all published by Microsoft, right? Yeah, which was weird in itself, and it was kind of the end of that era for Microsoft publishing, mm-hmm. right? Right. Well, Close Combat
1: my, three was the Eastern Front, right?
0: Yeah, and that was also a Microsoft game. Yeah, and that was that
2: was where it sort of showed that it wasn't a great system for. Um, I mean, it, it was just another sort of, uh, you know, r- you know, level up your, level up your rifleman kind of thing because, um, the battles sort of moved, but then you had to sort of, you know, you, you had guys that you would select from a force pool. Um, but it, it wasn't as, it wasn't really, didn't seem as persistent as, uh, as Market Garden did. And so, um, it was not as, uh, I don't. I don't know if it was as successful, but it just wasn't as viscerally appealing, um, and sort of intuitively made sense the way uh, *Close Combat 2* did. Although I did play it a lot, I remember, and I also that was one of the first games that I actually played um, multiplayer like that. That was that was a lot of fun playing that game multiplayer. Um, of course, that was in the old days. I think it was like, I don't know, 1999 or 2000, when uh, you know, getting a reliable internet connection against somebody else was a, was sort of an achievement in itself. Um, i remember actually taking it to uh, when i was in graduate school i took it to lab because there was a t1 connection there and then uh, i i would play it at night uh, when i was running experiments um, and uh, would be shooting uh you know shooting russian soldiers in the streets of uh, like minsk or something but um, th- I, I don't think that that was as that was as good
1: it's important to think about in I mean, the close combat games they have and we see it in the most recent one the the can one there's this different levels. There are battles, there are operations, there are campaigns. It's a very different game What you're thinking and you're planning from one to the other. If it's just a, if it's just a battle, then it doesn't matter what you do with your soldiers. You win that battle, it's just one-off scenario. A campaign, the operation in the middle, but the campaign's really kind of tough. Thinking about do I care about these soldiers or not? Uh, A lot of that connection you had in the market garden stuff from one soldier to the next is lost the larger the battle gets, because they're just one more cog in this wider front. We're just moving a bunch of tanks around and moving and selecting from one region to the next. And I think a lot of the personality, we talk about this whole war movie thing that Rob mentioned at the outset, and people have looked at the Company of Heroes games, you know, the war movie games, there's something to that, where there's real-time strategy game, you're shooting at walls, and it looks like a war movie, but the close combat games give you the, the names and the personalities and what have you, but the broader the setting gets and the wider the focus gets, the more you lose what makes the close combat system a special and interesting
2: system well yeah this was one of the first war movie games i think of war games anyway i mean yeah absolutely i totally agree with you but uh it it only works i think in a in that limited setting um it's sort of i think it's like you said company of heroes took the same thing um and uh, although you couldn't have a company of heroes game play like close combat right no of course not yeah it's it's it, and, and just you know for the but, but, listeners- it,
1: it, it it looked like a war movie yes. whereas close combat was had, had the, the characters you care about in a war movie
2: it almost seemed like oh i mean to me it seemed like a war movie at that time it was the it was the most war movie-ish game of that i could imagine uh yeah. because i couldn't really imagine what what had what would come afterwards but um uh but it really in, i mean in it, in it, in its depiction of combat it was actually pretty um, the game flows in a very um, sort of stop-and-go, uh, you know, there'll be long periods of time where your troops are just sitting there under a under artillery barrage, or they're just, they're uh, hiding behind bocage and not not really moving. I mean, it's a, it's a very slow-paced game in that sense, don't you think?
1: Well, let's talk a bit about that. I mean, this is a game that has quite an unusual pace to it, as you say, that there's a lot of confusion. It is a game where, especially now, we look at the close combat, the graphics haven't aged all that well, even the most recent version. Right. And there's a lot of confusion, and some of that is due to the interface, but even a lot of the design is, where the hell is that coming from? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the game is waiting and checking and finding it is... A lot of it is spotting. A lot of the game is spotting mm-hmm. where shooting is coming from. Mm-hmm. Are those rifles or those machine guns? Is that a tank? And it mm-hmm. is diagnosing what you see around you. Mm-hmm. And it is kind of this, I'm not going to say weirdness, it is this kind of beauty of diagnosis, this beauty of understanding what you've seen before in other scenarios and interpreting that in future scenarios as to what this looks like. And seeing how your troops react and how they should respond so there's a lot of a lot of learning and a lot of understanding, and it doesn't the manual won't teach you this. It is all through what you see, what your soldiers see, and I really love that about the close combat series how it is uh, how you interpret uh, the signals around you and the signs around you.
2: Yeah the um, the fact that spotting is everything uh, is I think very uh, it, it's very consistent with sort of, you know, how actual combat is when I mean, one of the most important things in combat is, is to not be seen when you're, you know, uh, you can, you know, create confusion by having, you know, the, the troops that are under fire, not know where the fire is coming from. But from a, from a gameplay standpoint, that's actually very frustrating, isn't
1: it? Especially because you as a, I mean, it would work great if the realism thing, if I was a soldier, I was playing a soldier and didn't know where the shooting was coming from. That's great. That's gameplay. That's history translated into game. I need to figure this stuff out. But I'm this omnipotent commander on top. Mm -hmm. I should Mm -hmm. be able to see where the shooting is coming from because my planning revolves around that. I can command all these other soldiers. I'm not a soldier. I am the Earth soldier, the super soldier. So so the fact that I don't understand, I can't see where the shooting is coming from, but I can see where all my mortars and tanks are, what everybody else is doing, but not that one thing. One important thing is, it is very frustrating, especially when people are running and I don't know why. Or the resolution is so poor, here we are in 2015, and my resolution is so poor, I can only see this corner of the map and people are running away. So the fact the series has not updated to that point is even more frustrating because there's this beautiful, beautiful system of uh, soldier interaction and command and line of sight. It really is ASL, what I've heard and read about ASL, in the computer space, but without a player I can communicate with telling me the rules and why he can shoot at me. Like I mm-hmm. think I'm undercover, but apparently I'm not, and I don't know where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of annoying.
0: Yeah. yeah, there's there's a little. So I'm I'm two minds about this. Uh, part,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm I'm of many minds. But let, let's hear. It. <laughs> uh,
0: some of this is just an artifact for the entire way that like the the series goes back to going back years how the series yeah. chose to represent terrain, uh, yes. which is kind of this like photographic high altitude shot with troops running around over you know over the surface, yep. which like all aerial photography completely flattens death perception. So you you end up with almost no sense of what is visible from, from one location of the map to the next. And that yes. is a problem, because it leads to an awful lot of, during the setup phase, drawing fire lines from one oh, place to these, another. drawing these
1: little, these little green lines throughout mm-hmm. the game, not even just in the setup phase, but even throughout. Yeah, what's visible? Is, I can see a tank... My rifleman can see a tank. Can my tank see the tank? I can mm-hmm. draw this green line. Can it or see it or not? I don't know. There should be. I should be able to just select the tank and have a field of vision clear without having to draw this thing. I mean, here we are, 2015, and this series is how old? 20 years old?
0: Yeah, they're about. And this
1: has not. This hasn't been updated. It's. It's part of the problem with war games in general. You have a series that works and a franchise that works. But the interface refuses to be updated. If this brilliant system, and you will not keep up with what we can do now on computers.
2: Yeah, I think that I mean. Well, first of all, the um, the drawing the line of sight is a you know is ASL a long thing. cherished ASL thing. Yeah, you yeah, you it, it, um, you it, it, decide whether because for, for it take, just it, for it, our it, our it listeners, take your string and do it. Yeah. Yeah, but but so our listeners know when you take out your string and you check out check the line of sight, you're firing. If you if you say you know if you check a line of sight, you have to check it between a unit that can fire at somebody, and then if you do that, and you can't see, then they still fire anyway. And uh, it, it means that, uh, the, you know, they shot at something, they didn't know what it was, but, uh, but they've used up their, their shot for that. And so, it's, so in, a, in a game of ASL, it's actually sort of a, uh, it's a big deal if you're gonna decide whether you're gonna check line of sight. Here, I don't see any purpose for it, but I guess in 1996, you could, you could, uh, you could get away with that. Now, I don't know how much, how many resources Matrix is really putting into these things. Um,
0: well, or Slytherin's putting into these things. Because- I think in the last few, they weren't putting much at all behind it because I played their um, I played their Return to Arnhem game, basically where they went back to um, to the to this to the Market Garden operation, and was not impressed at all. That game felt ancient. Uh, it, it just it just didn't hang together very well at all. I didn't think this one they 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 it scaled the resolution up quite a bit. It is a very good-looking game compared to uh, the, the last couple outings. Uh, Old-fashioned, but the for, from a res- resolution standpoint, it, it still looks pretty good. And I gather there's also a parallel track where this was the classic Close Combat game. Uh-huh. Uh, they were just sort of modernizing for, for modern mm-hmm. uh, machines. Mm-hmm. I gather there's another Close Combat game that is more of a... Uh, sort of a, a franchise reboot, as it were. Yeah. Well, that would be nice, because, I mean...
2: I think that, I mean, this game sort of even got, um, it got surpassed by things like Harpoon, right? I mean, the Harpoon does a lot more intuitive things than, um, than Close Combat does, uh, or at least it, it sort of tries to model things in a way that, that are consistent with the way that they work in real life. Um, the, uh, Close Combat series, like you pointed out, has, has just us a lot of artifacts from uh, you know this sort of board game paradigm that nobody who would play it now is really familiar with, or I I don't know if they are or not, but uh, it just is it doesn't seem relevant to the game. Um, but I I think if you were going to redo Close Combat, you I think you could you should just redesign the game um, because you have to really rethink everything that computers can do now, and the the interface design has come so far um I mean you could still call it close combat but I mean if I imagine this kind of game done by you know a really really talented interface designer and a really good game designer and really you know skilled uh you know art, uh, you know art direction team um it could be just, unbelievable but the question is i mean that all costs money and i'm not sure that a game like this uh is worth all of that
0: uh, resource input i don't know what do you guys think well i'm not first of all i'm not sure it actually does cost money um like uh, you know i was talking to uh, I, I did an interview on uh, for pc games N actually last week mm-hmm. with um mm-hmm. nick tomatis the designer of uh, ultimate general gettysburg Mm-hmm. And he was talking about like how very small the team was to, to make that game. It started out as three people, it eventually expanded, I think, to still less than a dozen. Uh, mm-hmm. but he was also talking about the very the very severe limits they were under in terms of budget and and time spent on, on artwork. And so they ended up basically making a 2D game with a really, you know, hot, very saturated palette. But mm-hmm. it's basically all a trick to make it look like a really good game and right. distract you from the fact hey, these are sprites running around a two map right um so uh, you know i'm always so it does cost money
2: (laughs) you just said that that they were under terrible terrible budget constraints
0: yeah so they had to they had to fake us out right but i think yes but, but i think you have to be open to those sort of fake outs that's how you sort of get around like that you know that's what sort of an art director can get you is that ability to create an aesthetic that's going to be both good looking Yet possibly doesn't require the sort of investment that, like, high-fidelity visuals require. And I think that's kind of what this series needs, because it still sort of seems like it's trying to reproduce, like, well, what if you were in an airplane circling over the battlefield in World War II? What would it look like? And trying to recreate that as vividly as possible when— It would look like 1995, Rob. Everything looks like 1995 from the sky. Pretty much, yeah. In fact, when in in fact, like Piper Cup's spotter aircraft saw the future in World War II, it was crazy. There you go. Uh, but uh, so I think that's kind of what the I, I, I feel like they they just need to be open to possibly just breaking from close combat tradition, the visual tradition of close combat, without necessarily being like, okay, we've got to make our fully three D like you know like it's got to look like Company of Heroes because you can't do that with a game like this. Well, you
2: can't do it with a game like this, but you can do that with a game, right? And I think that one of the things that is possible now is that, you know, um, Combat Mission is a game that, uh, you know, sort of relies on, um, you know, the the scale is still pretty small and, uh, you know, giving, you know, complex orders to a whole bunch of units like that. Um, is pretty time-consuming, and playing large-scale actions and, and combat mission is really tough. But I think, but I think that if you did a, a real-time game like this, where you, uh, you know, gave units orders in small increments, and you did a, you, you kept them, you know, you, you could do a really nice map where the units themselves are actually really small. And then if you had a nice interface, you could actually go in and, and get information on each individual unit very quickly. Um, and uh, and still give you know uh, orders in, in uh, that that weren't any more than just you know move here or fire at this guy. Um, I think it, you could you could have really really. Um Amazing battles, but uh, but to do that right, I think it would cost money, and um, and I'm not talking even about like Ultimate General Gettysburg. I mean, I think you're 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 to to do a real um, you know kind of World War II battle. That's going to take a lot of different units that you're going to be trying to uh, all you know command all at once. You're you have to be very careful with uh, you know the scaling of your maps. Um, you have a lot of things going on at once. You have to really have a really good interface. Um, but I, th- I think that's where the next step of this kind of game goes, and I think that um it's very unlikely that uh, we're going to see that anytime soon because I don't know how many how big the um the universes of people who actually really want to play you know detailed games like that with pacing that is not very punchy, so to speak.
1: well to put this back on you, Bruce, since if anyone could do this, you could what is the mo what's the largest number of units you feel comfortable commanding? in a close combat game, a close combat mission, the largest number you need to feel before you lose you feel like you're losing control of understanding of the battle, situational awareness, like how big could you manage? I mean combat mission I that I understand more. I think I can manage more troops in combat mission than I can in close combat for one reason or other. I don't know why that is. Just larger squads for some reason. In close combat, what's the largest number you, you feel comfortable managing?
2: Oh, I mean, I don't. I feel comfortable managing as many units because I can always, you know, the, the the problem for me is actually not the number of units; it's the scroll.
1: Yes, well, I mean, that's because it's real time. That's kind of this right thing, right? I mean, if the right. scroll is a long ways away and something's happening right. to Sergeant Richards on the other side of the map, and you forget where Sergeant Richards is,
2: mm-hmm. um, then that kind of matters, right? Because you have so many units to, to track. Well, you know, one of the things that bothers me is that the game moves left to right. I think it would be a lot better if the, if you if you took advantage of the fact that the, you know, monitors like especially widescreen monitors like everybody has now are so much longer than they are or so much wider than they are tall and yeah. uh that, because that that really that really gets me. I don't need all that lateral real estate, but I if I'm going side to side but uh, I could really use that to see more of my troops if I have a front line that approximates, you know, a horizontal line across my screen. So um, yeah, I don't. I agree. So, so I can't answer your question very well, unfortunately, because it totally depends on orientation. I mean, I, like, I, if I start playing with more than like, you know, twenty units, I'm just completely lost. Um, probably even less than that. Um, but that's only that's an, sort of an artifact of the way that uh, the game uh, fits on my on my uh, monitor. Yeah, so, I, I, I mean, um,
1: 10 or 15, I think, is pretty much the cap of what I can manage without yeah. forgetting who is where. And... Right.
0: Well, I, I that's this actually points out something else that sort of happened with the series over time, which is that unless my memory vastly deceives me, mm-hmm. when you're looking at the Close Combat 2 era, and maybe even the Close Combat 3, mm-hmm. you're talking about battles where you have, like, a dozen units under your control. Mm-hmm. And often, quite often, fewer because for what you know, I mean, those were kind of like full saturation scenarios where you get like dozens mm-hmm. of, of units you mm-hmm. get moving right. around. Uh, but a lot of times you're dealing with sort of like platoon level actions, you know, three mm-hmm. rifle squads, a uh, support squad, and and maybe a vehicle or something mm-hmm. to, to help them out. Okay. Uh, as the series went on, and particularly in, particularly in the Matrix Slytherin era. Mm-hmm. I sort of felt they fell in the trap of like make it bigger, give people more, mm-hmm. and I, I feel like, Gateway to Can, I think. Uh-huh. comes back from that a little bit in some in some good ways. I find it much more manageable. But the last one I played, the the Arnhem game, uh, would basically throw... Uh, honestly, it, it felt like you, you'd have something like 20 squads uh, under your command, uh, plus, plus some support vehicles and, and whatever other crap you might find on a World War II battlefield. And the problem at that point is, okay, you're giving me all these things, but you are now detracting from the thing that makes this series unique which is my ability to notice what individual soldiers are go- are doing. Because the thing that... If you take away the individual soldiers from this game, you still have a pretty capable World War II you know, sort of squad level game. It's still an interesting mm-hmm. game. I think Gateway to Can is is still an interesting game. Mm-hmm. But what I have lost since the early days is this ability to identify individual soldiers from mission to mission to mission to to, to watch these sort of character arcs play out from troops under my command because really at this point individual soldiers don't matter as much because there's too many soldiers on the battlefield and now it turns into more of an abstract war game where I'm looking at the strength of overall squads and formations and not how did so and so do oh there's my good gunner I'm going to put him here because I know he's going to nail every tank that comes down the road.
1: Well, you can see them trying to do that still in the post battle reports. You have, they, there's acts of bravery and there are medals that are awarded after each battle or each operation, and that's all great and well and good. But you're right that within the battle itself, it's not always clear who is where and whether it even matters, because there are so many soldiers you're dealing with, where you put them. Um, am I a squad commander? Am I a super squad commander? I mean, you can have battles with, like, three or four different HQs you're dealing with. So there's kind of this loss of player identity, which I think comes with the scale of the battle.
0: Yeah, and, and I don't know if I – don't, I don't know how you get back from that because, because right now they're trying to simulate campaigns on a larger scale. And yeah. I, I feel like the series drifted away from what should have been a core mission, which is that sort of war game, not war game, that war movie model, which is you know you get the movie platoon, right? Like you know, there's a the kid from the Bronx, there's the grizzled sergeant, and I kind of want that game back, and I haven't had it in like 15 years. Yeah, well, I, I think that the um, the
2: the sort of the the in, uh, slow and sort of intermittent. Uh, uh, Stop-go pacing actually allows you to get that kind of um, uh, you know familiarity with the soldiers because it gives you time to actually look and see what people are doing. Right? I mean, squads are in the same place for a long time. Um, oh, and, movement is uh, death
0: in this game. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So so you can so you can actually you know they're like where's that Bren team oh they're they're in that uh, they're a corner of that hedgerow okay go ahead and do some other stuff where's that Bren team uh they're still in the corner of the hedgerow they're not going anywhere and then but you you know you see oh you know all the you know jones is uh is starting to break you know and then you can you can follow all that stuff and i think you're you're right Trey. actually 20 squads is a little too many for me to follow i just i can't sort of picture i'm trying to count how many uh in sort of in my mind when i'm playing but um uh, I just imagine that. Yeah, I think it would be it'd be fewer, but um, uh, but that is actually what lets you kind of create that connection. You're never going to have that company of heroes, right? I mean, you you no. can hardly you know this guy's running over there, and you sort of tell him to where to go, and then soon you, you check, make sure he got there, or he got shot in between, but you were doing something yeah, else, so he's dead already. Company
1: of heroes, off. it doesn't matter because they're all just anonymous. Right, characters. right, right. They're just yeah. I mean, the, well, that's so,
2: which is so the they, whole they of be.
1: the game isn't about that.
2: Right. right. Well, they, they not, couldn't they no. couldn't be characters because they'd be dead right. too fast.
1: Right. Yeah, well, right. yeah. I mean, that doesn't what the pretense of what the series is about. That's not the appeal of the series. The appeal of the series is explosions going off right. uh, more yeah. than anything else. Where this sure. is about the whole. About. I mean, the com- is a, it is about the. No. It's about <laughs> the squads. It's about the little brigades. It's about their own little individual. Well, maybe we are imposing a narrative this series never meant to. I mean, we shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. S- pretending that we know what the designers were intending. Right. But I think the appeal, as Rob says, is this, that the squads are the purpose. It is mm-hmm. not having to, where are they? We should always know where they are. We should right. not be always have to ask ourselves, where is that brand team? Where is that brand team? We know where mm-hmm. that brand team is because we know right. where Jones is. Because uh, that's what the series is about, It's knowing where Jones is. Where is He is and there. And how and how we will use Jones because we are right. the commanders who know where best to put Jones because he's done so well up to this point. Now he might break in the next round, and that's mm-hmm. that, that's up to Jones. But we as us the commanders, we have our thoughts on what Jones should be doing. Yeah.
0: Well, that said, I I, I still think okay. So with this game, I definitely understand Troy's frustration that it can be hard to know what the hell is going on. Your troops camo in this game, your your troops are very effectively camouflaged from you in gateway to Normandy, uh, gateway to Cannes. Like it, it really can be difficult to spot where your guys are, and because there are so many squads, where you'll have a in the upper left corner of, of the screen, you will have sort of a rolodex of all your different formations, and you'll have like six Bren sections. And at that yeah, point, which like, is which? Right? Who is yeah. Who? Where's Jones? Where Where is Jones? Uh, but at the same time, playing playing this most recent one, like. You know, I have to sort of developed the eyes for it again. You know, I've gotten good at sort of picking movement out and, like, identifying where soldiers are. Um, and once it, once you get past that sort of disorientation, once I stopped... Expecting to always know who all my soldiers were in every battle, and just start start treating it more as a World War Two tactical game. Uh, right. I did get, I did get back into that rhythm though, where I just I I do really enjoy the system. I, I I do like sure. I I do like how it models morale and the way that soldiers like squads. Going back to what I said early in the show about sort of the way most games have these sort of brittle morale states, these these sort of coarse morale states uh, for units, what I like in in this game is that squads are sort of eroded down, but they don't just disappear at once, uh, unless you're really unlucky and and just get wiped out by, like, the the Davy Crockett of mortar operators. Uh, But I like that you'll have these situations where a squad, you know, takes a hit and two guys are down, but the heroic machine gunner is still fighting, and so you've got this one position in the battlefield, this crucial location, now being held by like one concussed machine gunner and his wounded loader, and you're like, do I need to reinforce them or do I just let them go? Um, I, I, I am. I, I've sort of come like playing the series again. It's it's clicked with me this most recent installment in ways that. Previous entries in the Matrix series did not, and probably even Close Combat 3 uh, did not. It it is still a really good World War II tactical war game, uh, even if the interface still holds it back. It's got a
1: weird, perverse beauty to it, in that it has all these amazing stories that even if you don't recognize who Jones is, just seeing miracles happen in front of you like one tank holding off 10 or just one squad that will not give up you don't know them by name because you forget how to find what their names are but just these weird little heroic stories appear in front of you and that will keep you going and that's kind of what makes this game the and also the combat mission kind of stand out as i mean it's sort of thing that Julian and Bruce talked about last week uh, on ASL, the the amazing things that happen just through randomness, where either it's skill um, assigned to a soldier or just random die rolls. And it's happening in front of you in real time. You know, one guy, the last guy in a squad, he he will not surrender because one of the great things about close combat is a squad will surrender and they'll walk towards you with their hands held up. We quit, we quit, we give up. And sometimes there's one guy who just won't. And he'll stop with his anti-tank weapon. And I just love this weird poetic beauty of heroism in the stupidest of situations.
2: Yeah, I think that you get that kind of... um... That kind of story in a lot of these kind of games. I mean, that's the whole uh, sort of what makes them appealing to, uh, you know, you get in in combat mission, it happens in this, uh, you know, in uh, close combat games, it happens. I mean, it it doesn't happen in, uh,
0: exactly, in um, Company of Heroes.
1: It's not going to happen in an RTS. No, because everyone's just a unit.
0: Right. Let's be clear. If the Company of Heroes close combat mashup ever happens, Mm -hmm. uh, that... That is my golden age. That is that that is when "Through Moves <laughs> Ahead" becomes a one-game podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's I mean that
2: that's what I'm talking about. That was that was the point that you can uh, have these like large maps and 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 that kind of that kind of. Uh, but I wouldn't but I wouldn't want it to be. Um, you, I, I wouldn't want the scale of of Company of Heroes, though. I think that would be
0: too small. I think it'd have to be bigger. Um, uh, Company of Heroes. You can still have about ten units of that, maybe a little bigger. I don't know. I think I think it would. I think depending on how much personality you give these soldiers, uh, you know, it's it, it, it sort of depends. Well, the go ahead. Well, I, go to your next point because I actually wanted to hit something else. So, so go to your next point. My point was going to
2: be that part of the um, the appeal of the of the uh, company heroes model is that you get to you get to directly. Issue orders to all these individual little like machine gun guys, and then they set up their machine gun and they fire. Whereas in um, I feel I feel like close combat is a little closer to um, the the Panther games type games, mm-hmm. yeah. where you're giving orders to this unit, and the unit's going to kind of set up its dudes, and the dudes are going to do some stuff, and and you're not really directly in control of the dudes, and uh, and it's it's a it's a different sort of uh, you know, player satisfaction model there. Yeah. And um, I think that if you have too few units, like the thing that always bothers me in the Panther games is that uh, in the small scenarios, it's like, well, I have these three units. Okay, well, then I, well, you go there, you go there, you go there, and then I just sit there and watch them. So I think you have to have enough, but of course they don't have the, uh, the character sort of angle to it. But I think that you have to have at least enough stuff to, to do so that you're not just watching your, your
0: individual guys do stuff. Especially when those guys are not doing the thing that you want them to be doing. Right, exactly, not, not even yes. in a cowardly way. <laughs> but I mean, right. like, there are times where just because of the way line of sight works out in this game, uh, I have seen squads of German soldiers leave the perfectly good bunker they were holding, step out of the bunker, and start shooting it out like it's the OK Corral against, like, three squads of British Tommies. And it's like... You bastards! You absolute bastards! Get back in your concrete box that protects you. What are you doing? It's <laughs> because somehow, for whatever reason, the AI governing that squad is like, "Well, I, I can't shoot from here. I better—it's <laughs> so much better six feet over there, out that yeah. concrete door, and on right. the front slope of this hill." Yeah.
2: Well, the um, uh, the AI is, of course, uh, is is the AI, which is why all these games always have multiplayer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that, and that. I was a little disappointed. The AI is remains far too willing to filter soldier after soldier after soldier, squad after squad, into obvious kill zones. The, mm-hmm. the AI seems to have no sense for, like, if there's three burning tanks all in a row, mm-hmm. the fourth tank should probably not go anywhere near that intersection. Mm-hmm. The fourth tank will always drive straight through because the AI is still like, no, I gotta, I gotta get that tank up there so it can <laughs> shoot at whatever's killing my infantry. Right. And right. like the AI do, just doesn't figure things like that out and never really has in the history of the series. And again, mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons uh, A Bridge Too Far worked really well is because the game was always unbalanced for one side or the other, like often within the same campaign. If you're the Germans fighting the paratroopers in Arnhem, you just get more and more powerful because you're over- overwhelming these guys but if you're the germans trying to claw your way back into contention in sort of the early stages and like going up against like 30th Corps, now they've got all, the allies have all their tanks mm-hmm. you start running into there's an awful lot of allied troops in this area and the numbers are against you those games work because the 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 battles were always asymmetrical one way or another mm-hmm. uh, as the campaign progressed As the series went on, and I think in this game, you you start running into problems where the scenarios are a little more evenly balanced, or they should Mm -hmm. be, Mm -hmm. but then the AI is too incompetent to win it out, which is why I think when you go into the uh, campaign selection, operation selector, uh, for uh, the latest game, uh, so few of them actually recommend playing solo, and most of them are designated for head-to-head play. Right. Which nobody's going to do because I just, it's, I think the time of this thing has passed for that kind of multiplayer.
2: Nobody's going to play this kind of game multiplayer when there are much better paced games for that. Um, uh, but, um, I mean, that's been always, that's always been the, uh, the problem with AI or with scenarios is that you can either make it the scenario balanced for, uh, you know, two players. You can make the scenario balanced for a single player, um, but you can't really do both. And, um, and I just don't—I uh, don't really see that changing anytime soon. Um, and that's, you know, that's why I think uh, so many uh, game designers rely on, uh, you know, just releasing the scenario editor and having uh, somebody decide. Oh, you know, I'm going to make a whole bunch of scenarios for uh, that. You know, kind of stack the stack the deck against the player so that they can play, be played uh, solitaire. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, th- th- I guess. I guess I do kind of have a soft spot for this for this series. It's just um one of the things that this reminds me of is how completely um how how the sort of gaming has completely passed by, you know, this uh, corner of strategy gaming as far as a, you know, share of the audience, I guess, because I mean, these close combat games are—they're not that accessible, or—or um, or I guess accessible. They're—they're—they're they're, they're, they're a lot less exciting than than some of these other real-time strategy games. But they were—they were pretty big releases. I mean, Microsoft was publishing these games. These were these were uh, well uh, well publicized games that uh, got a lot of attention at the time.
1: It's A different era then, for some reason. Yeah. We, but, but even Close Combat Three was only '98, so we still have. It's not that... It was a long time ago, but not that long ago. This isn't, like, uh, 91. This isn't harpoon territory. This is relatively recent in uh, computer game history for Microprose to be doing that. And it is this... Not that it's a blind spot, a part of it. I think is you know it, they were never really great money makers. And we can see that here. We have you know Matrix. They're a well-established wargame maker, right. but this is a type of game they should be putting more money into, into updating, into advancing. But it's the type of game that, even though it could use it, that's kind of this pathology of well, it's good enough for wargamers.
2: Well, I don't, is it that, or is it the, really the fact that there's just not? The return on investment that if you, I mean, well, there's... certainly
1: that's part of it, that's certainly part of it, but it's not like you're going to be winning over a lot of new converts. If this is your business, if your business is making war games, then your business isn't just saying, "Well, this is gonna we're gonna keep selling the same people over and over again." Mm-hmm. Part of it is expanding the audience.
2: No, it can be a business think... model to sell the same stuff over and over again.
1: But that's an audience is going to die, right? I mean, it's not going to last forever. Well, um, the planet's
0: going to fall into the sun at some point, right?
1: Yeah. But not in the next not 30 as imminently years. as
0: the, the people buying these games may start to. Be.
1: Who will who will eventually have the same budget to buy games? Um, and there's always going to be a core and that who will always be buying these things, and that's great. But I think you know, I, all it needs is a bit of a polish, a bit of an update, a bit of a you know a smile, uh, a, a decent tutorial, uh, not just a PDF. You know, the, there's there's a lot of really good magic in this series still. For all of my complaints about the British guys always running away, mm-hmm. God damn you, Britons! Stand up and mm-hmm. face your tigers. Like need more Canadians, to. really? I need more Canadians. This game needs more Canadians. There's what doesn't uh, need more Canadians? Hockey. Hockey's got too many Canadians. Damn it. Uh, but there's a, there. Is, I mean, you're right, that Bruce. This is still a magic series. There's a lot of good things going in on it, and I think a, a lot of the problems can be addressed. As far as I mean, the orientation of the map, um, a decent in-game tutorial, something that explains the game and some great strong clarity. Not everybody has a history with this series as we three do, and there's a lot of power I think in combat in close combat and combat mission, but even especially close combat, it is real-time, and it does have this, this narrative that people find sexy these days. Um, and it really just needs a little bit more love, um, I think. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm a bit of a romantic about this. I just think these series need somebody else to explain what makes them special. But I think just giving up and saying this these people will always be here. They'll always buy it is not the best way to run a business and another best way to evangelize for what for a, for a series or a genre you think is a core to your uh, meaning
2: yeah well I think that it's always better to I mean you're always going to get more sales and more traction if you rather than putting all your money into you know redesigning a game and calling it close combat you redesign a game and call it a new game that you've just released yeah um because they're going to be
0: always going
1: to be people i'm not sure i'm not saying a total redesign i'm saying just a a polish you know well uh, this was uh, that this
0: was this was a polish and then then who knows what their next game is going to be because that is the the update that is that is the big update i gather (sighs) and i believe that's still i believe that's still in the works yeah
2: I mean, this was. I mean, this is. This is a, a it's reasonably. Still
1: a, it's still a good game. I, want to I don't want to say it's not a good game because it is a good game. But mm-hmm. I look at it and I play it, and I just kind of want more interface. I want an in-game tutorial. I want. I look at this coming as a new person because I'm really interested in because I am the development side now. Is if I wanted to sell somebody on this game, what do I do besides move your dudes around and read the PDF?
2: okay yeah i mean i think that uh i think that there's something about well i was just playing just before we um before we uh talked and um you know so there's something i think that's really well done about the way i mean it was just you know some of my guys were under an artillery barrage and they're just sitting there and all of a sudden you know boom there's a shell and boom there's another shell and boom there's another shell and you're just hoping you're you know you're hoping these squads survive but um it's done in a way that I think is much it sort of captures that small unit combat much better than uh, much better than almost anything that I've seen. So
1: This is a game that really captures fear really well. And I think mm-hmm. something that's kind of underrated, I think, in a lot of war games and strategy games. That is a game that understands kind of the terror of combat. Mm-hmm. The worry that either is as a commander, will these guys even be there in thirty seconds, ten seconds? Can they get out of there fast enough? I mean mission is some of that, but I think I think close combat does that better. But also the fear of just trying to understand, as putting yourself in the place of your units, this disembodied thing, uh, which we try to pretend we're our units sometimes. I really think close combat still does that better than any other war game on the market.
0: Something I wanted to ask you guys is, does the series? Does the series change at all with um with, with with campaign with what front is it on? Like, do you consider it has a str- stronger one type of battle over another? Uh, like, cause something I've always sort of wondered is, are like, how often are designs sort of universal for every campaign in a given war? Right? Like, you know, did the series adapt to the Eastern Front as well as it did uh, to like Normandy? Uh, does Normandy work as well as uh, say? Like Holland, uh, you know, do, does this does this game have a sort of a sweet spot in terms of what it's trying to model uh, beyond just um, you know numbers of troops and and things like that? Is the, is there sort of a type of battle that Close Combat is geared for? I think I think the system is geared for a variety of
2: terrain. So you know you have it, it's kind of boring as a game if you just have you know sort of an Eastern Front, uh, you know little village with a whole, you know, a whole bunch of, uh, you know, uh, fields around it, step kind of terrain, um, because then everybody's just kind of moving in this homogenous uh, space and you're not really doing much. Whereas I think that one of the good things about the, the, um, the market garden thing was that, you know, you had a lot of buildings, but you had open space. And so you're sort of managing this, look, I got to get to this Building so that I can establish sort of you know covering fire from here, and these guys are going to need to get across the street. So how am I going to get these guys across the street effectively? Because I need them up in the you know up in the second story to, to shoot at these guys. Um, and uh, it, solving that kind of uh, geography or geometric type um, problem is interesting because some of your squads are I mean a lot of your squads are not going to be moving, so you're going to have to figure out how to. Um, how to move some of them. Whereas I remember when I was playing, uh, when I was playing Close Combat 3, the the one, the maps that were just kind of like, you know, Russian front, uh, you know, some hills and some fields were really boring because the, your, your squads were just kind of out there. And then, you know, well, these guys are getting blown up. Well, I got nowhere to go. So, uh, you know, I either rush this hill or I just get blown up or and it, it didn't seem, I didn't just feel like there were very many interesting decisions to make.
1: Yeah, I agree with uh, Bruce that it's really, In many ways, the emphasis on covering fire on you know small squad moving from place to place it really works, I think, best. And not necessarily an urban environment because you want to have your tanks being useful and not just walking down a street and getting shot. But yeah, the more open the environment, I think, the more it loses the personality and the tightness of infantry combat.
0: Yeah, I think I think for me, I've I've liked I've never been a huge fan of the super heavy urban maps either, uh, just because. I don't know. The, in part, maybe because they're frustrating uh, for me a little bit. You know, like house to house fighting in close combat tends to be like move your troops into one box, now move them into this next one, and move fast. Uh, it mm-hmm. tends to be these quick assaults. <laughs> I think I think the series has always been sort of at its best when there's a little bit of like open ground, and then also like some sort of light habitation, uh, some 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 you know light to moderate de- moderately dense uh, housing. I, I think it's sort of been where it's best. And Yeah, what I remember is. Yeah, the maps that are on the Eastern Front that are sort of classic, like you know, you know, Soviet steps and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Ten, yeah, they tended to be awful uh, because yep. basically troops out in the open get slaughtered, and then really it's like, okay, what what that game too often turned into is like, okay, the infantry are irrelevant for this game. Got to get those tanks across this big open expanse. Hope the anti-tank right. guns don't knock them out, and then right. just murder the shit out of whatever you find on the other side of that hill. And <laughs> that's and that's your
2: game. Yeah. Yeah, they're very. I mean, it's uh, this. I think the. Um, uh, you know, this this would be a terrible a terrible game to have, for example, in North Africa. Um, oh God. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. um, I mean,
0: if... good luck trying to find the elevation changes with this engine, <laughs> and just like right. screen after screen of sand dune. Yeah,
2: yeah. No, I think it would be yeah. So, but so, so it's clear it's clear that I think it's just sort of uh, you know heterogeneous uh, terrain um, is is the is the perfect place for this. And yes, I agree that the the super urban maps aren't very interesting either. Um, which, interestingly enough, um, sometimes is the case in. Uh, in Squad Leader, um, I kind of like uh, things where you have to do a whole bunch of stuff and not just, you know, assault move from one building to the next. Yeah. But that's a, that's another discussion somewhere else uh, another time.
0: Something I, I did want to say about this game though, uh, mm-hmm. is that, now, I'm getting the sense I'm the only one here who really liked Close Combat Gateway to can. I, I, I feel kind of like I'm the last guy sort <laughs> of <laughs> waving mm-hmm. the flag mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for Close Combat. Um, but something i liked about this game is, is that it does sort of bring out what is so nightmarishly unfair about like fight, the fighting in hedger country in france mm-hmm. uh, right <laughs> after right after d day mm-hmm. that this is a, it, it's sort of interesting because this is very much a game where the defender doesn't actually want to occupy forward positions and try to like hold a firm line mm-hmm. it's very much a game of like look I'm going to murder you when you come into this open field. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, you're going to get those guys. You're going to kill the Mm -hmm. guys who are defending it at some point. But then there's going to be another open field right right around the corner where another squad that hasn't been engaged is waiting there. And by the way, mortar teams are going to be murdering you throughout this entire battle. Oh, God, Um, the mortars.
1: So many mortars. Well,
0: I think that's one reason, like, sort of as it was historically, like, indirect fire reigns supreme. Right. in this game and like try like this is this is a game especially where if, where you if you're the Brits you guys are moving out in the open they take position behind a hedge row to begin to like establish a position and salt the next you know next next field and in that time mortar rounds start dropping on them and by definition you have no idea where that's coming from and one thing is and I I I am I'm ambivalent about this this game abstracts spotting it doesn't really have the sense that there is a spotter nearby um Which I I feel like you should be able to kill the damn spotter a little bit. Like There should be accuracy dependent on whether or not someone is nearby who can see the fall of the shot, who can somehow Mm -hmm. communicate that back to the mortar team. This game abstracts all of that away and just has the mortar team take different amounts of time depending on whether they have direct line of sight or whether they're sort of trying to range in. Uh, and that can be a little frustrating because it means that mortars are almost always freakishly accurate if you stick around one location long enough, and that's a little bit messed up.
1: If, if I see an enemy, if I see a, a victory point flag change, then I shoot my mortars there. I mean, it's pretty mm-hmm. simple. I mean, it's...
0: Right. They should have game,
1: different
2: colored it, spotting rounds.
1: It's a very gamey way to do it, but that's, no. that's how it works.
2: Indirect fire is hard to do um, because you can see... Right. And, but your, your units can't, um, yeah, it's just, a, it's, a, that's tough. I mean, you know, ASL to bring it up again, has a, has a terribly convoluted, uh, indirect fire well, model off board artillery. But, um, I mean, it, yeah, it, it, to, to do that, um, with it at this scale, uh, it's almost beyond, I mean, it's like, especially artillery, it's almost beyond the, the scope of the, of the system. You just sort of, it just come kind of yeah. comes out of nowhere um so
0: yeah this thing is this thing is a little creaky um i think the campaign works decently well better than i think like close combat 3 did or or the last the last couple of the Matrix turned out it's
2: all right yeah yeah i think that yeah i mean the i think the the um well the the campaign is really the holy grail of this kind of of this kind of game right i mean it's the reason i mean close combat camp uh, close combat, gosh. Combat mission campaigns would have been fantastic if they'd have been able to execute it, and, and it's interesting that so few games of this type are able to actually pull it off.
1: What do you think the problem is there, Bruce? Why is it so hard for people to... This is, looks like this is the holy grail. People have tried to do it. Why is it so hard for it to work?
2: Oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a developer, and I, I have no understanding of the technical limitations behind this, but I think that from a design standpoint, you know, it really... it. It's like um, it's it's like historical ASL where you know red barricades is this big map that you make incremental gains on And I think what people try to do is that they try to um, they try to just link a bunch of, of disparate, Situations, right? And say, oh well, you know, these guys fought this battle, and then they, you know, marched down to here, and they fought this battle, and then they got in a truck and drove over to here, and fought this battle. Which it sort of makes the whole thing. Um, I mean, I think the setting, the the map itself, becomes a character in in, in these these extended campaigns. Where you know, um, uh, in Red Barricades, you just have this big factory, and you're trying to take this big factory, and so um, you know, you have your your line of units, and they they fight each. Each game you play, they, uh, they start off from that, you know, that, uh, you know, that the jumping off point. Um, and I think that in order to do that, you have to actually design the game so that you don't have these big... Because ch- if, if you have a huge change in terrain uh, or, like, territory occupied with every battle, then to have a campaign, you're going to have to have, like, 10 maps worth, right? Which doesn't work. So you need to have a game system that's interesting enough that playing it, but only have a, having a small amount of territory change hands each time, is is still you know a compelling game, and that's the problem that you they rather than designing a game, uh, and then um, just linking a whole bunch of scenarios together and calling it a campaign, you have to really start from the beginning and design the whole game so that the individual pieces of it actually hold together and uh you have to design the whole system with that in mind and i think that that's that's where people fall apart is that they they think they they make this cool you know small unit world war ii game uh and then they say oh hey let's put a you know let's make a campaign out of it and they should actually do it in reverse
0: yeah i I think that's that that's something a big a big part of it. I, I think another issue you run into is just, like, okay. So if you're making, like, you do a close combat three did, or I think what they were trying to get at with a, uh, mm-hmm. with combat mission is you have this idea that you've got this, like, let's say company strength, you know, group of units and, that are carried forward from mission to mission to mission mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, over into entirely different battle areas and everything. But the, but the problem is then you also have to keep pretending like, okay, your performance, it, it's, it's, it's 1943 on the Eastern Front. But what you did in 1941 was totally important it mattered and that's a little bit like foolish because if suddenly you know you're the russians and you're going on the offensive you know in in 43 you're you're expected and you should have a bunch of units to throw into the field maybe you have more veterans one way or another but you you should you should have something that lets you sort of reproduce the conditions of, of that campaign and i think what get you get stuck on a little bit is you Campaigns sort of try to sell this fiction that like every battle matters for what is going to come down the road. But at a scale like this, that's not remotely true. That's not how wars work. That's not that's that's not reality. And you end up sort of impaling yourself. Uh, on, the, on this dilemma of whether or not you're going to have your individual performance sort of determine your success from mission to mission, uh, or whether you're going to let people play through the historical reality, uh, maybe with a few like you know, counterfactual detours. Uh, but at that point, then, you are necessarily diminishing the role of those campaign performances. Um, and I, I think that is, that is a big problem. And I, I think it's one of those be careful what you wish for uh, dilemmas. Well, I think, I mean,
2: you're, I definitely agree with you. And I think you're, you're definitely, you were onto something there when you said um, the, uh, you know, the fact that you fought that battle, you know, three years ago, that mattered. You don't get a sense. You're sort of being talked into the fact that it mattered. and It didn't really matter. But if you have a, if you have a fixed map, right? So once again, I go back to Red Barricades, because I think that's actually one of the great uh, design accomplishments in uh, in this kind of wargaming is that you have a map, right, and you have units that are very valuable to you. For example, like your uh, you know combat engineers, uh, the pioneers, right, the eight three eight guys. Um, for our listeners, that's, that's like a very uh, powerful but uh, short ranged uh, German um, uh, squad that uh, can also use flamethrowers and and demolition charge and things like that. So. You have a fixed number of these kind of units and you know that you know part of your you know the, the victory conditions require you to take pieces of this large factory complex and there might be a, a, a point on that map that is very sort of strategically important if you can get there then you can you know sort of command fire lanes in all these different directions so you decide that you know on you know campaign day seven you're gonna make a rush for that thing and you're gonna commit like a good portion of your best troops to that to that combat or that that you know that's it because it's a scenario you play a scenario out of that and you may lose a whole bunch of really you know irreplaceable units but you get to the uh you you take your objective and now in, on the next scenario you're playing from that that point right and you've taken this very important geographical objective and you get the benefit of that geographical objective and you knew that you were going to have the benefit of the geographical objective and you can sort of play it's like you know i can see that point ahead of me right let's go take that and then you take it and you you know, lose half your squad and you're like oh gosh that was that was costly but now we're here and now we can get the benefit of this and it's that sort of very smooth, clear progression. You know where you're going and you know what it costs to get there, but you see the benefit of what you got um, that doesn't work in the way that they're doing it here.
0: Uh, I, I think it, 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 it works a little bit here because I think some of like the operations maps and such sort of confine mm-hmm. the area. Of the mm-hmm. battle yeah. to a reasonable, manageable size, so you know you know where the front line is as they're mm-hmm. moving in. I think mean, this game has always sort of started to creak and snap under its own weight when it expands too far. Um, yeah. It definitely ha- has a sweet spot uh, f- f- for stuff like this, but yeah, I, I think it, I think it works better again, sort of that close combat to situation where like you 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 get by you get some of that sense of progress because. What you did in the last mission was basically advance like from one end of town to the other, and your next mission, your line of departure is trying to drive the Germans out of that last strip of town and take the entire map, and that's and that's kind of a that that's kind of a cool thing uh, that that you don't get when the action expands over these huge uh, when you're trying to tell the entire story of a front in a war uh, at a squad level. In a squad-level game, you, you, you lose that, that sense of connectedness.
1: One of the great things about the operation system the, and the campaign system is the whole truce mechanic. How yes. Knowing knowing when to, you know, I've, I've won just enough. I don't need an absolute victory here. I want to save some of these guys because here's the, the way the scenarios work is you're fighting a scenario, and if you're winning and doing really, really well, then the opponent can ask for a truce. We give up, we're done, we'll mercy rule, you're finished. And you can decisive victory, or overwhelming victory, or modest victory, what have you. But the map pretty much stays frozen where it is. In an operation or a campaign, that situation then carries over onto the next map, the next scenario. Is it worth pushing for that next victory condition, knowing you might lose somebody important? Because you're taking this risk... Uh, for the next battle, or do you want that? Do you want that objective because it gives you a great setup for the very next battle? And I really do like how this decision sets up. Doesn't make a whole lot of difference in just a scenario because it just means okay, I win. I'm calling it a win. But in the operations and campaign, that choice of when to accept the truce can really make a difference from one set to the next. Uh,
0: yeah and i, I think it's even more interesting like in in multiplayer when you also have a little bit of a bluff element uh from when yeah. you want to offer that truce you know what i mean yeah. like if you seem too eager for yes. it the other guy will keep pushing but maybe you just wanted the fight to end and you know what i mean like it can be one of those things where you can bait someone out with an early truce offer and they search for because i think they got you on the ropes and you just like murder the crap out of them withdraw the tr- truce offer and go uh, yeah it's 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 definitely a nifty uh, way of it's definitely a nifty, nifty way of approaching sort of combat resolution the end of battle, uh, which I haven't seen too often. This idea that two sides will sort of break contact uh, without necessarily having to play for all the marbles. And that will determine, yeah, who controls what part of the map the next time these two sides go at it. Uh, that's, that's definitely one of the cooler aspects of the series and definitely one that works uh, best. Again, the slightly, uh, you know those contiguous operations and uh, battles where it's not just the one map that's no, just the one engagement. Um, so I think that does it for our discussion of the Close Combat series, uh, f- for which apparently my love is the truest.
1: Um, <laughs> it's I, good. We like it.
0: Yeah, I I do like Gateway to Can. I think if you haven't played any of these games, that's probably a good place to start. Yeah, uh, sure. At least, yeah, of course. Uh, if, if somebody came out with like a reissue of uh, A Bridge Too Far, uh, that would be perfect. That would be that that would be ideal. And I I, I wish I wish we could get that again, but it doesn't and, seem and, likely. And,
1: and, and Gateway to Can is available on Steam.
0: It is, which is which is definitely convenient. Uh, so I would at least give it a recommendation, if for no other reason than. It's a classic series, and if you like war games, you should you should check out what's going on in this one. I'm very curious to see what's going to happen with, um, Close Combat: The Bloody First, uh, which mm-hmm. is sort of the parallel. Work to gateway to can which i think is going to be sort of the reimagining reinvention mm-hmm. uh, of this series uh okay. so fingers crossed that it will sort of give uh troy the the updated the updated modern approach that uh they we'll want. And we'll, we'll hopefully see. next time we'll all know where jones is that i just i cannot wait for you guys to tell me
1: jones is dead he's always dead
0: jones is inside you all along wait <laughs> what Never mind. Anyway, that'll do, it. Right, that'll do it. for our show. We're 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 calling it there. Uh truce flag up. Uh We'll be back uh, next week with some kind of topic. Uh, It may or may not be a Winter of Wargaming show. I might want to talk about Grey Goo uh, with some people who are doing reviews of it. Uh, But we will sort of play that by ear. But we will be back next week uh, with another installment of Three Moves Ahead. And the Winter of Wargaming will continue. Uh, Until then, uh, say goodnight, everybody.
1: Goodnight, all. Goodnight, everybody.